Isaiah chapter 6 this evening. I have not met you. Uh, you know, because my wife Jennifer, we are assistant uh, missionaries to the kings in Albania. Uh, <laughs> this is a coffee shop thing. I'm not sure which display that is back over there. Um, but uh, get you in touch with them. But, but that's us. And, uh, so, medium roast, please. Cream, I'm sure. Uh, we'll be good. So, uh, well, that's, that's, that's an appeal right there. Amen. <laughs> Just start off the week with that. <laughs> that's wonderful. So, um, Well, Isaiah chapter 6, we'll get to that here in uh, just a moment. Um, but being the last night one, I do understand this is night 4 of 4. Thank you for being here. And uh, I do know uh, many have worked each day and come each night. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Uh, and, and being a part of this uh, very special week. We've been taken better care of than we deserve. Um, the food yeah. each evening has been very good. If there was a test involved, everyone passed with an A plus uh, every night. Uh, so outstanding, and I know that's, uh, that's a lot of coordination Amen. for that. We appreciate that. The fellowship, of course, with um, Pastor and Mrs. Melanac and uh, them opening their home for us. We appreciate that uh, very much and um, appreciate Pastor Malinak. Every guy, every person needs somebody that they can call up in the time when they're, they need a, somebody to listen to their sighs. All right. That's not a Z, S I Z E S, that's H S I G H S. We all get those sometimes. It's a blessing to have a friend, Pastor Malinak. Amen. It's, uh, her, Heard me sigh a few times and uh, doesn't let me stay there. Encourages me back up and uh, praise the Lord for good, um, good friends like that. Um, so, um, but a tremendous blessing. Thank you for the hospitality and so many people here uh, through our life. And Jennifer and I were both saying it's been such a blessing to us. And uh, in a few years there at the college, and uh, so. For each one of you, we see you, we think about some memory, or uh, some memories uh, for each of you, so uh, it's just been a real, a real treat for us to be here. Um, I'd like to try to just mention a, um, a couple quick things uh, here, uh, and then I'll get into our message, and we'll, we'll keep, this, uh, keep this brief, but uh, it's not a part of the message, so I just need to say it. Um, one thing that I... I heard as a young boy, it just stuck with me uh, with regard to, to missions. Uh, challenged to do this by uh, our pastor when I was young. And he, he encouraged us as a church, individuals within a church, uh, whatever age, to, uh, in, 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 in the idea of praying for labors, pray for labors, he said, I'd like everybody to, to think of a city in the United States uh, and make that, make that your city. And that you will pray for laborers in that city mm. and learn about that city, learn about the population, learn about the, uh, what the dominant religion is in that city. Seek to find out if there are like-minded um, churches in that city that you might get to know or encourage and write and ask about their work and ask for some prayer requests uh, for them. And then he said, furthermore, I, I want a church, everybody to pick a country and do the same thing for that. Well, that what kind of did, it kind of got us into, remember those days when there were actually printed maps and atlases and things like that that are museum pieces now? It got us opening those things up and reading about them 
And uh, I think William Carey said, you know, what makes someone to be a missionary? A Bible and a map. Mm. Uh, but it got me interested in those things and praying about that and, and uh, looking up to find missionaries in, in that city or in those areas. And ironically enough, of course, the city that we picked to pray for, uh, my dad and I both did because he was born there. I was born there as, as Baltimore. And uh, we prayed for a long time. And it was kind of neat uh, before my dad passed away. Several years before that, uh, a, a man from our Bible college started a church within within sight, I guess we would say, of Baltimore. Enough for us to say, wow, Lord, you answered that prayer for us. Mm -hmm. And there was a good church there. The good church there is still pastored today uh, there. And so uh, I think that's a great blessing, a great help, and could be a good encouragement. And with that uh, idea of making, uh, in our, with regard to our families, okay, so we have um, our houses that we go back to, right? And people say, well, don't make, don't just live in a house, make your house a home. That's good. That's good. One more step to that. Make not just a house and a home, but make that a headquarters from which. Um, important stuff comes into it and important stuff comes out of it and important stuff happens within it for God's work turn that house into a headquarters of prayer a headquarters of evangelism a headquarters of speaking of the things uh, that matter in life reaching out and connecting with uh, God's work through that house and turn that that those four walls into a mini headquarters of God's work, and then let that be the vision for uh, for our homes. And so they've been a blessing. You I hope those thoughts uh, are helpful for you too, Jennifer. And I, we like to say this: um, in May we made our way to uh, Southeast Asia. When we had two weeks, when we left, um, we our tickets were to Bangkok, Thailand, which borders Myanmar, and uh, we didn't have uh, visas to get into Myanmar at that time. And we got in and uh, we spent some time there in, in, with, in the Burmese areas of Thailand. Um, I will say one very convicting spot uh, was the Protestant seminary, Cemetery uh, in Bangkok. And you can go there and find uh, from the early 1800s uh, the graves of uh, many of those faithful missionaries that were in that pioneer era, along with many of their wives and children right there as well. Uh, and so that was a very, we'll thank the Lord for that opportunity to do that. Spent some time with the Shroks in Cambodia. And then, through a long story that I can't get into, the Lord opened the doors with us to get a visa to go into Myanmar uh, later that, uh, end of that week. But the point was this, from the time we stepped out of our house in Chesterton, Indiana, until we stepped into our motel room in Bangkok, Thailand, it was 30 hours. Well, 30 hours, like, well, that's a long time. Yes, it, in one sense it is, but it's not a five-month sea voyage. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing when we got back was talking with one of the men in our church about how much that trip cost us. And um, he was pointing out the fact that he and, he and his son and another person uh, did a three-day ski vacation in, in northern Michigan uh, earlier that year. And he started to tabulate it together and the ski vacation, and I, I'm glad he went. Praise the Lord for that. That's not my point to criticize at all that. The point is that that three-day ski vacation was the same expense as our trip to uh, Thailand and, and Myanmar. 
And so sometimes it seems impossible or distant, uh, these faraway lands, impossible to get to. And I know there are limitations, and it, it, there's many things that come in that, that uh, limit this. But it, it doesn't take long to get there. And with some resourcefulness and creativity, it doesn't have to cost too much to get your feet on the land, uh, in a foreign land, and uh, be amazed at what God will do in your heart uh, when your eye starts to, to, to affect it. And so, again, I just put that out there as encouragement, something to consider and, uh, and to pray about. Um, <clears throat> if, you, if you'd like to get our prayer updates, uh, we have a, a website. We put all of our missions information on that. Uh, and you can sign up there, and once a month there'll be an update, uh, written form, and also a little video about uh, how things are uh, progressing uh, for us. Thank you so much again for this opportunity to be here, Isaiah chapter 6, uh, and we'll read uh, verses uh, 1 through 5 here, and then I'll pray. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, and with twain, he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I have a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Heavenly Father, thank you for this. Uh, final evening for our missions uh, conference here. Lord, what a blessing it is to fellowship uh, with each other and also around your word in so many uh, facets, Lord, through the wonderful music that was prepared and, and, and given this week, uh, through the biographical sketch of, of C.T. Studd, who's seen uh, these missionary uh, presentations on these various fields, and certainly from hearing your word open and, and challenged by it. We ask, Lord, that you would Meet needs here this evening, uh, Lord, and we pray that we might learn some things here from this prophet and what he saw. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in the important verse here that I'd like to zero in on, part of the verse is at the end of verse 5, where Isaiah says, Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Keep your finger there. Turn back to 2 Chronicles chapter 26 very quickly there. 2 Chronicles 26. Uh, so in this passage, uh, verse 1, Isaiah saw the king in the year of the death of King Uzziah. All right, so 2 Chronicles 26 tells us a little bit about this King Uzziah. Okay, so verse uh, 16, the Bible says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And uh, so here was a strong king that, uh, to summarize, let God's people down and uh, let Isaiah disappointed uh, some people in, in this act. Uzziah was a good king. Uh, verse 5 of this chapter says a famous verse. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But there was a problem, and the problem with Uzziah was that he became strong. And uh, that, that idea of being lifted up in pride is a sin that is that easily creeps into any of our lives. Uh, the sin of pride is, 
it is one of the original sins. It's a, it's a, it's a successful, it's, it's a great tool of Satan, doubt and pride. I think those two things he, he uses so often because they're so, they're so effective. And we need to be that much more aware and, and on guard against pride. This is a good king that got lifted up because he became strong. And so back to uh, Isaiah chapter 6, this is the setting that Isaiah brings to us uh, when the Lord is going to do something in his heart. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1, I saw the Lord. Well, Isaiah did not tell us real quick there that Isaiah, number one, didn't have his focus on a man during this time. All of his hopes and wishes and desires and dreams were not wrapped up in the king, even though he was a good king. Sometimes when things are going good and we think that we have the right person in office uh, that's going to, then, then things are going to go good. And we settle in and we kind of trust that a little bit. Well, here Isaiah did not have his focus on a man, even on this king. He could have used this situation to get discouraged. Say, so here's a good king, but he got lifted up with pride. And, and, and what a shame. Well, you know, what, what, what hope is there for me? Uzziah's arrogance, he brought him low to the point of being a leper. And so, Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, didn't hang it up because he was had his hopes and trusts and trust in man. In the year that King Uzziah died, he sees the Lord. Verse three, the theme of holy, holy, holy. We see this here in verse three. He cried one to another and said, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts." This is a theme that would have been familiar to Isaiah. I believe that he would have been very familiar as a prophet with the Psalms that David wrote. They would have been written a couple hundred years uh, before Isaiah lived. And among these Psalms are several that reiterate and emphasize this theme. Keep your finger in Isaiah 6 and turn to Psalm 93. I, I believe this is a Psalm that uh, Isaiah would have been familiar with. And I would like to point out in this group of psalms here from 93 to 100 a distinct feature that we find in three of these psalms. Now, this group, this eight, uh, this grouping of eight psalms are sometimes called the coronation uh, psalms or psalms that are fit or used uh, uh, for a king. Look at Psalm uh, chapter 93, and we're going to find uh, something that... This psalm and Psalm 97 and Psalm 99 all have in common. And uh, that is the, the statement that each of these psalms begin with. Look at Psalm 93. The Lord reigneth. Now look at Psalm 97. The Lord reigneth. And then Psalm 99 where the Bible says the Lord reigneth. Now, these psalms begin with the Lord as king. Not as a future king, but as a king right then. These are, these are exciting psalms. Uh, this is a powerful statement. The Lord reigns. Now, there's another thing that I was, as I was reading these psalms that stuck out to me, and that is this. Each of these psalms begin with the statement that the Lord is king. He reigns. He is ruling. And as a result of that, let's notice a statement about each of these psalms when they conclude, look at Psalm 93, verse 5. Thy testimonies are very sure. What's that next word? Holiness becometh thy house, O Lord, forever. In Psalm 93, the psalmist says, The Lord reigns, 
And the psalm concludes with the theme of holiness. Look at Psalm 97. Again, it starts with the Lord reigneth. But look down at the end of the psalm, verse 12. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. And then Psalm 99. The Lord reigneth, verse 1. Drop down to verse 9, and sure enough, we're going to see the concluding verse of this psalm deal with the holiness of the Lord again. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. And so, Psalm 93 speaks of the reign of God over all creation, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 97 speaks of the reign of God not just over creation, but also over the idolatrous gods of this world. Verse 6 of Psalm 97, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Confounded be all they that serve graven images. That's an encouraging psalm for us to read. One day my wife went up to the top of the Shwedagon Pagoda in Yangon and saw the biggest uh, pagoda uh, temple to Buddha uh, in, in the country and some say the oldest uh, uh, pagoda in all the world and it's price it's priceless the, the amount of gold shui uh, has, is the, is the word for gold so it's the gold covered pagoda and we saw she saw just thousands of people bowing down before the idol and that's this open idolatry is, is permeates the country but with that we look at Psalm 97 verse 7 and the Bible tells us confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. Zion heard was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments. Verse 9, for thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. That's a blessing to think about that, to think about that Bible truth when going into a land that is filled with idolatry. And then Psalm 99 tells of the reign of God and holiness. Verse 1 uh, says, He saith, let all the uh, earth be moved. And then verse 3, notice this. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Verse 3, the name of God is holy. Look at verse 5. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Amen. God is holy. And then Amen. verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. It's the theme of the psalmists here in the coronation psalm. It is the theme back to our text in Isaiah 6 of these seraphim that cry, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah saw this and knew this because he saw the king. We see this theme, the Lord as king and his holiness is on display. King of my life, I crown thee now. I shall the glory be. Great him, lead me to Calvary. Jeannie Evelyn Pusey wrote this hymn. She began writing poems when she was eight years old. God can use young children. Amen. I told the young people Tuesday in chapel about a young man in Burma now, his dad's a national pastor. He's 16 years old, and 
and he is busy working his way through the English hymn book, translating it into Burmese so they can increase the number of hymns that they can sing in the Burmese language. And he's 16, and I thought, that's a great motivator Amen. right there. That's something to think about. Here she writes poems when she was eight and by the age of 13 had some of them published. At the age of 24, the first of her many hymns were published. This hymn, Lead Me to Calvary, uh, is the most famous of all of them. Uh, and it was written during Passion Week, during the week where the Lord's uh, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection took place. And it, so it appeared first in print in 1921. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy full and crown brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. That thought drove her to say, King of my life, I crown thee now. She lived up to this hymn. She lived up to this challenge that she gave to others about this matter because she de dedicated much of her life to selfless caregiving for those that could not help themselves. She cared for an invalid sister um, for many, many years. Uh, and she said, I do that based on Luke 9.23, which tells me to take up my cross daily. And those that have cared for someone that could not care for themselves understand that truth. It's daily, and, it's, and it's, um, it, it never goes away. The need is always there. She herself got uh, struck with rheumatism just in middle age. Uh, when she was in her mid-50s, the fingers of her left hand were completely curled up while those on her right hand would only bend uh, at her knuckles. And she was a faithful a servant of the Lord and a student of the Bible. In her old age, in her closing years, she asked to be baptized by immersion. She had been raised a Quaker, but she saw from the Bible, uh, a Bible truth about uh, believer's baptism, and uh, she uh, <clears throat> was baptized and spent her last years in a home for the aged in Concord, New Hampshire. She died in 1958. King of my life, I crown thee now. King on the earth. This is a great theme of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus ruling, or the, the Lord, the Messiah, ruling as king. And uh, they saw the earth shaken in the tribulation time. They saw that. They wrote about that. They write about the king ruling from Jerusalem, all nations flowing to Jerusalem. And uh, during the millennial time, they saw a future king over all the earth. So what we have to understand is this. Though there's not a literal throne today in Jerusalem, Pastor Melanac was there recently, there's not a literal throne right now in Jerusalem. Okay? From which Jesus rules the world. Turn if you to Luke 17. What we need to understand, though, is this. There is still a kingdom today. There is still a kingdom today. The rule of Jesus on the earth during the millennium is often referred to in the scripture as the kingdom of heaven. The idea is the kingdom of heaven ruling literally on the earth uh, during that thousand-year reign. But I'd like to take a look at this statement of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 17 uh, right now. This is verse 20. Luke 17, 20. 
And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So this is the kingdom of God. It's found in the person of the king himself. The person. Jesus Christ himself is the king. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 14. Jesus' very presence marks a kingdom. Where Jesus is, he is king. And so his presence marks a kingdom. Look at John chapter 14, verse 20. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and look at the end of this verse, and I in you. Amen. If Jesus is in us, he is the kingdom. He is our king. And so Jesus in us marks a kingdom. Look at John chapter 17, verse 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. The first three words of that verse, I in them. The word kingdom is an interesting word, so pardon me if I... Take a sidestep into English grammar temporarily. King, we know what that means, but the D-O-M at the end of that word, we can think of some other words where that uh, starts the word. Words like uh, dominate or dominion. What does those words mean? That means power over or rule over or control over. So the kingdom of God in us in the person of Jesus Christ in us means a ruling king who dominates, who controls, who has rule over our lives in every part. The kingdom of God is in the person of Christ for the believer. One day, all the world will see the ruling king from Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, as the Lord rules and reigns over all the world. But turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. And watch this progression uh, that we see in this very introduction to the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth. In John chapter 1 in verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. So he is about to tell them about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about him? Verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God. But John points out the fact that Jesus, who is among them, was going to be the suffering Savior. He was going to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse 36 reiterates this. And looking upon Jesus, as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. We get more about this person of Christ in verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So not just the Lamb of God, but we've now found the Messiah, the one that's going to rule us and is going to lead us to uh, victory and reign. Verse 45. Philip findeth the Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. 
One of the most foolish statements that a popular preacher today is making is saying that we need to disconnect from the Old Testament. <laughs> the Old Testament is filled with Jesus Christ. Amen. I think I'll stick with Jesus Christ. Amen. Since he's part and parcel of the Old Testament. Amen. This is him. We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one that was written about. Verse 47. Another thing about this person. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. And then verse uh, 49, Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Deity. Thou art the, what's the next words here? The King of Israel. We start with John saying, There's one among you. Let me tell you about it. He goes step by step. Introducing all these different truths about our matchless Lord and Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? There's a king within you. There is a kingdom within. Some people say, the sun's not out today. Why? Because they're looking up and they see clouds. That's wrong. That's wrong. The sun is always out. Clouds may cover it. Clouds come and go. But the sun is a constant. The king is always the king. The king is always the king. My choices, my decisions, my actions, my thoughts may or may not match up with that truth. But the fact of the matter is the king is always the king. Amen. We are the variable, not yeah. him. A good mindset for making decisions, a good mindset to take into making decisions, see the king. See through the clouds. Understand that cloud cover is very low compared to the sun. It's very low and it's temporary. See through that cloud to the king. A good plan to help us sort through the issues of life that seem unresolvable. See the king. Clouds, storms of life, trials, deep hurts, misunderstandings, battles. May be in and around and above us, but to see at the same time, like Isaiah did, here's the death of this king. What a letdown, what a discouragement. But Isaiah saw the king in that time. See the truth of my king. This brings that reassurance and hope and help in trials, and it also brings us to the point of being honest with ourselves into the place of conviction. And humility and confession and remorse about our own sins, which is a good place for us to be at. These things are made vivid when we see the king. Back to Isaiah 6, and I'll say this Isaiah could have seen a lot of things at this point in his life. By the way, oral tradition, I suppose it's oral tradition. Says that Isaiah, as the prophet talked about, uh, the one referred to uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, when the Bible talks about those that were sawn asunder. Uh, tradition is Isaiah was put in maybe to a hollow log um, and sawn in two. Hmm. Isaiah could have seen a lot of things at this point in his life. Just like you and I, we can see a lot of different things in different points and stages in days of our lives, he could have been really discouraged by this good king that he got off track, Uzziah. He could have focused on the young son of Uzziah that was just made king. 
and to put his hope in him. Instead, verse 5 tells us, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen not my circumstances, but I have seen the king. If Isaiah had not seen the king personally, maybe his heart would have stayed unchanged. Maybe his sin would have been unconfessed and blurred in his mind. And furthermore, maybe he would not have had ears to hear the call to action that he heard in verse 8. The Bible says, also I heard the voice of the Lord. He didn't hear that by looking at the clouds and the circumstances. He heard that because he saw the king. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He heard that. But he did see the king. He did see the king. So his heart was changed. He got into a place of deep humility and sincere confession of his personal sins. He heard the king's call to action for him, and he obeyed the Lord's call. Our actions Amen. reveal who the king of our life is. Amen. King of my life, I crown thee now, said uh, the hymn writer. If every stadium fills up on any given Sunday, over one million people are sitting in NFL football stadiums on the Lord's Day. They fill them up. And some of those people are sitting in an open-air stadium, stadiums, 49-degree weather, 30-degree weather, rain, snow, sleet, whatever, and doing it proudly to see men move a pigskin back and forth. Tens of thousands will endure this for sport. What could you and I, what maybe we should say would you and I, do with a genuine vision of our king? Here it is. Whatever the king says is what we do. Whatever he says. We like Isaiah. We like Isaiah. We'll find ourselves with a changed heart. Deep humility. Sincere confession of our sins, just being honest with ourselves. Listening and hearing the king's call to action in our lives, both daily and maybe for our future, in obedience to matters of eternity. Choose what you will see. Better stated, choose who you will see. Our eyes will see the king of the Lord of hosts. See through the cloud cover. He's always there. He's always king. The kingdom of God is within you. He has control. He has a beautiful plan for our lives. If we will put our eyes on him, that may be Albania, that may be Myanmar, that may be Logan, that may be Ogden, but a renewed vision makes life in this world worth living. When Amen. See the king will never, ever, ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. Lord, we know what a lighthouse that it is. What an encouragement it is, Lord, as it sends out its preaching and teaching and witness to this area and to regions beyond. And now, Lord, we pray at the close of this conference that we would each take time to review the things that we've heard in this evening, Lord. I pray that we would all go with a renewed, refreshed vision of you and understanding of you and submission to you not as a distant king someday but king in our life 
even right now. We ask that you would bless the remainder of our service here. In Jesus' name.